Well, it's brilliant just to be here. Um, I come from a sunny place called South East London. Um, I live in a place called Peckham, um, which some kids call Peck Nam, which should give you a bit of an idea of the type of some of the issues that we have there. Um, but yeah, it's funny, it takes me longer to get out of um, London than to, once we get into your kind of sunny areas. And uh, so I've got to go past Buckingham Palace, which I don't tend to do, but it's great. Um, my name is Ben Lindsay. I am a pastor at a church in South East London. Um, I run a charity called Power to Fight, which empowers communities to end youth violence, which started in 2019. Um, after a young person was murdered not too far from where our church is and I've had about 20 years working in community safety teams and uh, youth offending teams so it kind of felt like God was bringing all these things together to try and do something very uh, different around this issue and I am also an author of this book we need to talk about race which again kind of came out of nowhere really and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in my talk today. What I want to talk about today is all about knowing your calling, knowing your identity, knowing what you're here, why you're here. Um, and this kind of came to life for me recently. If we can bring the next slide up, there's a, there's a picture of my, of my children, um, or at least two of them. And I noticed in the, in the, in the handout, in the, in the life book it said that I had two kids I've got three children actually and it's worth me mentioning that since this is being recorded so one of them doesn't <laughs> feel left out years to come <laughs> or there's some controversy <laughs> I really do have three kids um anyway so this is two of my kids this this is um Hector and, and Esme and uh you know what it's like with children if you have children I find it very interesting that you spend all week trying to get them uh, out and ready for school and then at the weekend there is like even more activities to get them ready to do and I'm like when do we actually rest anyway so my my daughter said that she'd fancy ballet and, I was, and my wife was like okay no problem let's 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 see what's going on locally took her to the uh to the ballet class and the ballet teacher with all these other little girls were very kind of uh, excited and they and she said right you're all going to be princesses. At which point, my, my daughter turned around to the ballet teacher and said, I do not want to be a princess, I want to be Batman. <laughs> Hence the reason that picture was with her in her su superhero. Uh, and um, my wife was just like, yes, brilliant, you know, no gender stereotypes in our house and all this type of stuff. But at that point, I was like, oh, this is very interesting because there's clearly a difference between what my daughter Esme wants to be, she wants to be Batman, her, her, her current situation, well, she's being told that she's going to be a princess, and what she's actually called to be, which nobody really knows. So it was kind of like, ah, this interesting, what is her identity? And it's all a little bit confusing. It was confusing for a three-year-old, it's confusing for us as adults. Fortunately, God is a lot clearer on our identity and what we're called to be. In a, in a verse in the Old Testament, the, uh, the first part of the Bible, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. That's pretty clear <laughs> what God has for, for his people. 
But the question really today is, how does God's calling plans for our lives play out in reality? We can, we can hear beautiful, inspiring, encouraging verses like that in Jeremiah, but how does it actually play out in reality? Well, we're going to read from a, another part of the Old Testament in a book called, uh, called Judges. Um, and if you have your Bibles, please turn to Judges 6. And we're just going to read from verse 16, sorry, verse 6 to 16. <clears throat> and hopefully this will just give us a little bit of help in understanding more about our calling. So from verse 6. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under, under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abzurite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Let's just pray and then we'll uh, see what God has to say to us today. Heavenly Father, I thank you that no matter what we think we are, no matter what our experiences are, we can be confident in your word that you have a great plan for us. And we just pray right now for your spirit to fall upon us, to open our ears, open our hearts to your words and encourage us. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. You see, what we've just read is uh, one of my favorite characters, a guy called Gideon, who I can relate to <laughs> a lot. Um, and he just shows us in this, in this passage some of the processes that God uses to help us work out and prepare our calling, our purpose, and our destiny. What we just heard about Gideon is that actually he's nothing special. Um, his circumstances, what's going on around him, is quite painful. Uh, Gideon is very faithful, and he's doing quite a mundane job. Can sound a little bit like us. I mean, I don't know any of you. I'm sure all of you are doing great jobs, and your life is not mundane. You all look excellent people. 
but I can relate a little bit where I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm, I don't feel particularly special. My circumstances and environment around me is actually quite painful. I am quite fearful at times, um, and I have done mundane jobs. Yet, what we see is that God is calling Gideon to something greater, bigger than he can possibly imagine. And this is the message for you today. No matter your life stage or your circumstances, know that God has a plan for your life. We can hold on to that. So what can we learn from the life of Gideon to help us with our calling? Well, like any good preachers, I have a three-point sermon, so uh, (laughs) strap yourself in for the ride. The first point is this. The first lesson from Gideon's story is that we are to embrace our environment. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what, I'm not familiar with this area, but you guys are, and we are to embrace our environment. As we've just heard, the context of what I've just read is that Israel is under attack. Israel is suffering. There is oppression. There's exploitation. There's injustice. There's fear. There is suffering at the hands of the Midianites. Now, what we can see if we just pull up these headlines, these are from 2019, these headlines, it's not actually that different when you look at some of these things. What we know is going on in the UK. It may connect in with people differently in different ways. But some of these headlines will relate to some people, and some of it we might be looking at from in, like an indirect perspective, but for some of us, this may well be our reality, whether it's youth violence, whether it's uh, immigration, whether it's the stuff around climate change. There's po- multiple things around us which is making our environment where we live in not easy. But what we need to understand about us, and particularly with Gideon, that he's a product of his environment, and so are we. God's call is very specific to what Gideon sees day to day and therefore has a massive impact on him. You are a product of what you see day to day. The things that you see in your life, the stuff which is breaking your heart around your community are kind of the clues, pieces of the puzzle, a window into the heart of God's calling for you, your purpose and your identity. See, God is all about the detail. Like Jesus, you were born for such a time as this, in a specific culture, in a specific environment, in a particular context, for a particular reason. And we are to know the things which, the things that break your heart, the things that you see, are the things that break God's heart as well. And therefore, we are to, very much like what we just read with Gideon, we are to embrace this, we are to wrestle with this, we are to wrestle with this in prayer, in conversation. And this would be my own experience. Um, When I look at my own history, there are some things I went through in my life growing up which has shaped who I am today. I didn't realise it at the time. I was like, this is painful. There's a few things which happened in my life. I remember when I was very young, my mum used to take me on 
three Nelson Mandela marches. Um, not the average upbringing, you know, for a four or five-year-old, but, you know, that was what... My mum was very much wanting me to see what kind of was going on, not just locally, but internationally. This type of suffering which was going on. So I used to go on these Nelson Mandela marches about apartheid. That shaped who I am. It kind of put some type of desire to see justice. Um, I grew up um, a mile away from where a young man called Stephen Lawrence was murdered in South East London 27 years ago. That impacted uh, me and my friends. It was, for those who don't know who Stephen Lawrence was, he was a young black guy who was racially murdered and it kind of was one of the biggest crimes of the last century and it's impacted much legislation and a lot of scrutiny on the police and, and, and so on. But it massively impacted me. These are the things which kind of was going on locally for me and internationally, and it meant that, oh, wow, how do I play this out daily? And then 27 years later, it doesn't surprise me that I've actually written a book on race. That was God doing something then, which I then had no idea about, and here we are. When I became a Christian, a lot of people say to me, oh, why are you involved in working particularly around youth violence? And the classic thing is, were you in a gang? Did you carry a knife? And I'm like, no, I did not. Never carried a knife. I do not have a criminal record. I was not in a gang. But basically what happened, I became a Christian at the age of 23, and God opened my eyes to what was going on in my community. I say that because we can do things out of two places. One, it can either be out of lived experience, which is totally fine. But also, it can come out of empathy. And um, I suppose that's just a bit of an encouragement for people that don't ever discount yourself from engaging in particular things because you don't have the lived experience. If you've got the empathy of Christ, you can be a part of the solution. God, through your past or present, is specifically showing you his heart, and this is a clue to your calling. Don't dismiss that nudge. Don't ignore it. It's not an accident. And like with Gideon, we're seeing the wrestling, we're seeing the praying, we're seeing him embracing his environment, and we are to do the same. Embrace your environment. Don't run away from it. Second point. Second lesson from Gideon's story. Know your true identity. Know your true identity. In Judges 6, 11, 12, where we just read, <clears throat> it says this, Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, this doesn't really make sense. This is what Gideon was effectively hiding from the Midianites. And then God's gone, ah, mighty warrior. It's a bit like when maybe my children, or one of my children in particular, says, I'm going to be a Premier League footballer, Dad. I'm in that middle, I'm in that moment, I'm like, at which point do I encourage this? Or at which point do I give them a reality check? <laughs> maybe some of you can relate. Or when people, maybe other people in my household, watch something like X Factor and say, I could do that. And again, you have to choose your words carefully. 
Or classically, what happens is when people watch the London Marathon and then the Texans start going, I'm going to run the marathon next year. And I'm like, you've never even run 1K. <laughs> you know, it's like, this stuff doesn't quite make sense. There's a reality and then there's a perception and the reality. And, you know, what, what, what we're seeing with Gideon is like, this doesn't make sense, but God is saying, this is what you are. This is who you are. What we're learning is that God's word over our life trumps anything else. God said, mighty warrior. See, your calling requires you to hear God's voice over others. And this is difficult because in this day and age, there are conflicting voices everywhere. But as if you're a believer here, we have to work hard on hearing God's voice over everybody else's. So we all have a royal wedding, right? Uh, last year, we saw Harry and Meghan uh, get married. And it, from, from my perspective anyway, this was an incredible day. I was like, my goodness, this is this, you have this American mixed race divorcee from a single parent family getting involved in the, in the royal family. This is, this is bizarre, but this is amazing. And it was an incredible day and probably remembered more for like the, the longest sermon ever recorded. But it was, um, I might try and beat that. No, I'm joking. I won't do that. Won't do that. <clears throat> but it was an incredible day. And obviously since then, there's been a lot of talk around... Uh, Megan and Harry, and they've made some decisions, which I'm not here to make a comment on whatsoever. But what we can say about Megan's journey is that it's not a classic journey. She's not an obvious choice. She's not your typical, or was not your typical princess. But the reality is this. Whatever people think, her identity is still royalty. We can have all the talk about her title's gone and whether or not they're now a minor royal or, you know, all these words, minor royal. <laughs> it's like, her last name is still Windsor. <laughs> and even this statement which comes up from uh, the Queen herself says, Meghan and Archie will always be much loved members of my family. Whatever that can't, that does not change. That does not change. She's still family. What does that mean for us? Well, when the Bible, when God says that we are a royal priesthood, as Christians, God says that we are a royal priesthood, no matter what we think of ourselves, that does not change. God has said it. Now, as much as I love all of you, none of you really look like royalty. <laughs> Doesn't matter, though. Because if you're a believer here, God says that's your identity. And we are to hold on to that. God called Gideon a mighty man of valor. Again, he, it wasn't a classic journey, not an obvious choice. He was hiding the weakest in his clan. But God said it. That's what you are doesn't make any sense, but this is the identity God bestowed upon him. The monk 
the writer, the theologian, the mystic, the poet, the social activist Thomas Merton said this, the less we are mesmerized by human voices, the more we are able to hear the divine voice. I sense here, if you're anything like me, we've got to shrink the human voices, the social media, the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook, and whatever tabloid papers that you read. Shrink it down. And start hearing what goes on here. And if you're anything like me, there's moments where this falls down and all those other things get louder. But if we are going to learn our identity and really own it, this is what we've got to get our heads around. When God speaks, we are to listen to his voice above anyone else's voice. Rather than the powerful voices of the culture, the media, the marketing, and even the negative labels from your past. I don't know anyone here, but I guarantee there may be some things which have been said by friends or family which are commanding your destiny at the moment. And I feel right now to say, God wants us to break that. Break that. You are not what people say you are. You are what God says you are, which is a royal priesthood. Hold on to that. He wants to remind us today the one who made us wants to cement your identity in him. And let me just give you a reminder of what God actually thinks about you. These are, these are God's words, not my words. This is what God says. I am the creator and you are my creation. I breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. I created you in my own image. My eyes saw your unformed substance. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know the number of hairs on your head. And before a word is on your tongue, I know it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I have given you dominion over all sheep and oxen and all beasts of the field and birds of the heavens and fish of the sea. I have crowned you with glory and honour as the pinnacle and final act of the six days of creation. This is what God thinks about you. I feel like we need to read this to ourselves every morning. I think it will be a game changer. This is what God thinks about you. If you are visiting here and you're just trying to look into Christianity or church, understand this is what God thinks about you. If you're being a Christian for a long time, this is a reminder of what God thinks about your true identity. Your identity is intrinsically linked to your calling, your purpose, and your destiny. And on this journey to working out your calling, remember God sees what you can't see. He sees the best version of yourself. We see straight lines, God sees round corners. And what we are to do is to amplify, magnify the truth, turn down the lies of culture and embrace what we're about. Point three. Final lesson from this story. We are to embrace our circumstances. We learn that Gideon is called to be the answer to his circumstances. Judges 6, 14. 
Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? See, what Gideon is teaching us here is that our calling, your calling, is always greater than yourself. I know we're not Pentecostal, but that's kind of an amen moment, right? (laughs) Seriously, your calling is greater than yourselves. And that's scary, but that's the truth. But God says this, but I will be there with you. So there's a trust element in that. But you know what? There's a lie, and this is the biggest lie, and I don't know where it's come from. Well, I could probably guess. But we've got to break this lie. And you know what the biggest lie is? It's this. You'll know it. Get ready. God will never give you more than you can handle. I've heard that quoted by preachers. I've heard that quoted by people I respect highly. But I don't know where that's come from, but that is not from the Bible. What God actually says, and it's from 1 Corinthians, says this. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's what God says very specifically around temptation. But this whole idea of God will never give you more than you can handle, it's just not biblical. God actually regularly gives you situations that are beyond you. So it forces you to rely on him. It forces you to get on your knees it forces you to surrender, to trust and know him. I don't know. Oh, that's just my experience. And guess what? It's not just my experience, actually. It's the Bible. Let's just go through some people who I think may have experienced this. Moses. I think going up against Pharaoh was a little bit beyond him. David. Well, we all know about David versus Goliath. I think going up against Goliath was a little bit beyond him. Esther. Jewish princess becoming queen, saving the Jews, probably a little bit beyond her. Mary, and I know I just have the son of God. <laughs> Minor thing. Peter, oh, we all love Peter in the sermon, don't we? Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times, yet God said, I will build my church on this rock, slightly beyond him. And there's probably examples in this church, I don't know your stories, but if you're relating to this, you're in good company. When I wrote a book, it was beyond me. I've never written a book before, even though I did study uh, English literature and business studies at university, I kind of scraped through my degree. And so when I said to my wife, I'm going to write a book, she did laugh. Um, She was very encouraging, but she also laughed. Um, So for me... I know that there's things which go beyond me, which we're called to, even with my charity. There's no way someone like me should be engaging on the multiple levels that I am, whether it's government or right on the, on the ground level. Your calling is always beyond you. And Gideon sees this disconnect between his calling and his present circumstances. And this is the two mistakes that we make. Mistake one is this. We all make these mistakes. We see our troubles as evidence that God has left us. I'm in trouble. Where are you, Lord? Instead of asking how God is working through our troubles for his good and his glory. So that's mistake one. Mistake two is this. We are often waiting for God to do something to us 
or for us, we are always wondering why he doesn't use someone to bring help, which is a legitimate question. We say, remove this problem, Lord, please. Again, that is okay to say. But we should also say, Lord, please help me to be the person who can either endure the problem or help me to be the person to rise up to tackle the problem. Because my wife, she says to me, sometimes when we pray together, she kind of stops me and says, you should be very careful what we're praying because some of those prayers, we could be the solution to. Yeah? Lord, do this, do that. Help them. And I think sometimes God is just like, yes, I see it as well. So what are you going to do about it, Ben? Oh, no, no, I didn't mean me. <laughs> I'm praying this weird prayer for somebody else to help what I'm seeing. Bit odd, isn't it, really? The next slide shows you some people who've gone through some things, some of you will recognise, and basically became part of the solution to the problem. Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, Emmeline Pankhurst, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Doreen Lawrence, Malia Lusafasai, a Pakistani activist from female education and the youngest Nobel Prize winner. All these people went through things and what we know is that they became part of the solution. Now, you might be thinking, okay, what are you now trying to say that I need to be like Martin Luther King? I'm not saying that. We appreciate these are titans in their own way. But what I'm saying is that sometimes we are the answer to our own problems. They found themselves in challenging situations that led to a greater purpose. We, that can be us on a micro and macro level. One of the hardest verses I've had to uh, deal with personally and also just when I'm dealing with suffering locally is what it says in Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, Martin Luther King says this, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. You see, it's the challenge and controversy where the best preparation for your calling happens. It's the comfort and convenience what tends to stalls and stunts God's plan. So the result is when you get verse 14, go in this might of yours. God today is saying, go in this might of yours and challenge injustice. Go in this might of yours and raise godly children. Go in this right of yours and be the light in your community. Go in this might of yours and show love in the face of hate. This is what God is calling you to do today. And he says, but I will be there with you. So, as all good pastors, we're now about to land. We shouldn't be surprised to see the call of God in ourselves and in others. And we should not be dismissive of others or ourselves. And Jesus is the greatest example of this. Jesus is calling was to save us, <laughs> to come and give us salvation. 
but he came completely humbly. He wasn't the person everybody expected him to be, yet here he is. The poet Mary Oliver says this, tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. God is asking the same question for you today. I understand that for some of us, we are struggling to see our calling because we're struggling to embrace our environment, to know our true identity and to embrace our, embrace our circumstances. I feel that right now, God wants to just remind you that you are loved, your identity is in him and whatever you are going through, there's a purpose to it. And I'm, just, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna close there, but I just wanna pray for people. And you know, this is, there's no pressure to do this whatsoever, but if you actually feel like <laughs> I'm struggling with my identity and I really need God just to show me my calling and what I'm about, or you've just related to anything I've said, particularly around your environment, your identity, your circumstances, you, I'd love you just to stand. And I would just want to just pray for you.